3: Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right
2: and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle.
3: This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Hello, hello.
1: Are
4: we ready for this? T G I F and so forth? It's really up to it's been you. Been a long week. One of us, one of us got home very late last night. How are you doing over there? I'm doing well. Not that late. Well, late for us.
1: Late for me, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah,
4: I mean, uh, the the toddler hours. But for a worthy cause. Such a worthy cause. Yeah.
1: Last night, I, uh, I I played a bit part in the 40th anniversary for the National Organization on Disability. And the chairman of the National Organization on Disability has been Governor Tom Ridge, former Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge. Uh, A guy for whom I have the utmost respect and a guy that I look at and say, gosh, if we only had more men or women like him in public service. I mean, they talk about DeSantis. I'm looking at Ron DeSantis right now with a storm briefing as as being nicknamed the resume in Florida, you know, because he played baseball at Yale. Sure. Uh, How about Tom Ridge growing up in government housing and going to Harvard on a scholarship? And then going off to war in Vietnam and being the recipient of a Bronze Star and then coming home and working as a prosecutor and then being elected to Congress for three terms and then governor of the Commonwealth for two terms and then the nation's first secretary of Homeland Security. He's the total package. And uh, he had a very close relationship with George Herbert Walker Bush, Papa Bush, And Papa Bush was the honorary chair of the National Organization on Disability until his passing. In fact, one of his last interviews was Tom Ridge interviewing George Bush and President Bush saying that the proudest professional achievement in his life was the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Wow. So the point is the... The belief in the cause of helping people with disabilities and creating employment opportunities for them runs very deep for Tom Ridge. And so Carol Glazer, who is the president of the NOD, had asked if I would come down and and just say a few words about Tom Ridge. So I I did go down on a train. Uh, last night. saw Steve Scully, our colleague You're there, kidding. who came over to to pay his compliments oh, to wow. another eerie sure. resident in Tom sure. Ridge. Like Both of them are the pride of eerie. Sorry, Steve, but it's Tom, and then it's Steve Scully, because well, Ridge is like the guy.
4: Two of the more, most civil, most gentlemanly. It oh doesn't even matter what their resumes say. Those two men are just top notch. Well,
1: I said to the audience last night in my very brief remarks, do yourself a favor, and Google, and I say this to the POTUS, POTUS audience as well, Google the speech that Tom Ridge delivered to the uh, log cabin Republicans, the LGBT Republicans. I don't think there was a cue on the end when they formed. Uh, it's a speech about civility and tolerance, and it's remarkable. So congratulations to Tom Ridge and congratulations to the National Organization on Disability. It was my privilege to be with you. Quick, funny story. Uh, we were on a rooftop. Overlooking the Capitol,
4: I know that because I saw the oh, my video, video. Right, on right, Instagram. Right. Yeah,
1: so I believe, Gosh, it's a night. The, I believe it's the same space where I was uh, for CNN on the anniversary for uh, on the pardon me inauguration of Donald Trump oh, when kidding. I looked over and and looked at the you know the west lawn of the Capitol and said mm, there aren't so many people there I mean been the here vast before. crowd of
4: people that said breakfast right. for how many people were there right.
1: that so, crowd? There's, so there's that one quick funny story and then, I, then I'll get down to business yeah so it was not a tall building I think it's 10 or 12 stories and I arrived uh, in advance of the scheduled start time they ended up running late but, but in advance of the scheduled start time I hustled over from Union Station and it's a beautiful office building, but there's one elevator that goes to the penthouse, to the roof deck, and the full bank of elevators won't get you there. Got you with it. me? Of course. Okay, so I I go and I go to the rooftop deck and uh, to survey the landscape, and I take note of a sign that says bathrooms are all on the ground floor. Really? So as the clock oh, is ticking, oh as the God. clock is ticking toward <laughs> this is a the disaster. event. Toward the event, I say to myself, hey, there are a couple hundred people downstairs. They're all about to get on one elevator and come up to the top. I better go to the bathroom now, right? So I go to the elevator and I push the button and I get on the elevator. Somebody else gets on with me and they go one floor down and they get off. And when the door opens, I look out and I see a sign that says restrooms, Huh? And I say, oh, I'm going here. I'm not going down to the ground floor. Okay? You with me? This is making me nervous. So I go and I use the men's room. Doors unlocked. why? Everything's why, wait, cool. why?
4: It said bathrooms on the ground floor. Why is there a bathroom that's not on the ground floor? It, it was,
1: I guess, tied into other
4: commercial tenants. Got it. Okay, so go ahead. So
1: now I go back and I push a button for the elevator, only the elevator won't come because the penthouse, the roof deck, is keyed off. Oh, shit. okay. I'll get in. I'll walk up a flight of stairs, get in. I get into the stairwell. I walk up a flight of stairs. The door's locked.
4: Did you have your phone with you?
1: So, so now, so now, now I go down to the floor where I use the bathroom. Doors locked. Knock on the door. Nobody answers. There's a phone. I pick up the phone. Hello, Castle Securities. By the way, how can I make this up? And I'm now speaking to like someone in, in headquarters in like Texas, who the hell knows where. I'm like, yeah, I'm in this building. Well, we can't help you. We're off-site. I ended up walking down all the flights of stairs. Now I'm breaking a sweat.
4: Now I go back up. That is insane. Hello. Hey, the, the glamorous life, Michael. Oh, yeah. The glamorous
1: life. Oh, hey, I am a, I am a celebrity, if you didn't know.
3: <laughs> this is the Smirconish Podcast from SiriusXM.
1: are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com.
0: When your path to business growth gets rocky, AdRoll makes digital marketing a walk in the park. Work directly with advertising experts at AdRoll to launch cross-channel campaigns that deliver efficient ROI. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.
3: Listen to Michael live. Weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124. And on the SXM app.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, there's an essay that uh, that I read on the train home from Washington last night. It's uh, posted at CNN.com. And it, it was directly on an issue that I've been wondering about, which is the, okay, what do we do now? In Florida, I'm hearing the accounts, the tens of billions, the potential insolvency of Florida insurers, Ron DeSantis, despite the fact that when it was others who were suffering years ago and he was a member of Congress and he didn't want the feds to write a check. Now he wants them to write a check and all of the momentum, even though, you know, recovery efforts are still underway, but all of the momentum is toward rebuild, rebuild in a hurry and rebuild exactly where we had built before. And I'm saying to myself, as a neophyte and not one with any expertise in this area, is that really a smart idea? Especially with climate change? Haven't we learned more than to just build in the same areas that have been devastated in the past? And along comes Stephen Strader, an associate professor of geography and the environment at Villanova University, who writes exactly on this issue at CNN.com. It's in all of my social media, and you must read what he has authored. Professor Strader, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having
5: me. I appreciate it.
1: So, who was Carl Fisher?
5: Carl Fisher was a um, sort of an automobile magnate. He's mostly responsible for uh, building Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway, and he was a bit of a thrill seeker and ultimately a businessman. And in 1910, he decided to take a vacation to Miami Beach which wasn't Miami Beach at the time, and said, hey, there's a great opportunity here for others to get a piece of this paradise. And they began starting a business where they would cut down the mangroves, the marshes, and shipping in soil from the Everglades and building beachfront property, which became what we know now as Miami Beach, some in 1920s. And uh, that's sort of what we've seen take place over the last 100 years now in Florida is this it's replacement of natural wetlands for beachfront property.
1: What role do those wetlands play as a buffer? Yeah,
5: that's a great point. Um, one of the, they play a really critical role. And we see uh, groups, um, environmental groups, focusing on restoring wetlands because wetlands, one of their primary functions is a buffer between the storm surge and rain and the water getting pushed inland. They're there to protect those inland vegetation and and frankly where we should be living and when we build right on top of them we take away their function it's sort of like building right on top of the levee
1: so folks who are listening to this are probably saying well wait a minute michael this was the west coast of florida why are we talking about miami you point out that it was 30 years ago that florida's miami dade county was hit by a cat five it was hurricane andrew it led to over fifty billion adjusted for inflation, destroyed over sixty thousand homes, and left more than one hundred and seventy thousand homeless. And in the last three decades, Professor Strader, things have gotten worse for Floridians. How come?
5: Well, you know, after Hurricane Andrew hit Florida, it was Hurricane Andrew was a relatively small hurricane relative to Hurricane Ian and its primary threat was wind. But the big killer with hurricanes, over eighty-five percent of hurricane deaths are because of water, storm surge, and rain. Um, so what FEMA and HUD, the Housing and Urban Development, got together and said we're going to build homes better in Florida, build them as, at a higher building code, and that's thankfully what they did. But unfortunately, that's the only good thing we've really done. What has happened since then is Florida's population has expanded has doubled it's grown rapidly and where do people want to live they want to live under the water so we see this development as close as we can to the coast up and down the east coast west coast really the only place we're not trying to develop in florida are the protected lands like the everglades and so on and that means more people are exposed to tropical storms like ian or andrew or whatever might come in the future
1: You say, quote, this pattern of rapid development along with both the Atlantic and Gulf coastlines along both the Atlantic and Gulf coastlines has continued into the 21st century, setting the stage for disasters. For example, Florida's population has grown nearly 60 percent since Hurricane Andrew which is two times faster than the national average over that same time period, according to the U.S. Census Bureau data analysis. And with increasing population comes a greater number of homes. In fact, the number of homes in Florida has nearly doubled from 5.7 million in 1990 to 10 million in 2020 based on government data. So it's a combination of factors, right? It's, it's the way in which uh, development initially took place. It's climate change on the rise. And it's this vast expanse of population. It's like a total witch's brew that's been created in Florida. And I guess the eye-opener for me about your essay is it doesn't seem like we learn our lessons. We might improve the building code but we're still building and building and building.
5: Yeah, I like to refer to this as disaster amnesia. Um, After the disaster, you know, after the, we see this happening currently is people have a very strong propensity and and desire to get back to the way that things were. They miss their home. They miss their location. They want to go back to the, before it was a disaster. And there's momentum to that. And which means that, there's provisions of money that come from FEMA and, and, and other groups that are not specifically aimed at building better but and building in different locations, but primarily to build things back to the exact way they were before. There, there's an incentive for that, particularly if your community and your economy is based on tourism or is based on retirement communities, which a lot of them are in Florida. So there is really a lack of incentive for people to not build back. And what we hope people do is don't forget about the disaster and think, "Hey, do we need to really repeat this?" You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Um, and that's the difficult question to answer, which is, "Where's the straw going to break the camel's back?" Where we say we can't do this anymore. Um, that's the frustrating part as a researcher is like, I have to deal with this year after year, and and it just it stinks to, to sit there and, and and see people being affected time and time again.
1: Right. But no politician wants to be the one to say you you cannot rebuild your beachfront property or you can't rebuild your inland property. everybody wants, you know, there's there's nothing more intrinsic in value than than our home. So I can't see it changing. Instead, what I see happening is a lot of money is going to get spent. And over the next decade, a lot of rebuilding is going to take place of of all that was just lost. I guess my question to you is, what does the alternative look like?
5: Yeah, I think that the, the alternative is, um, and maybe where the change will come, is what we've been seeing going on in Florida over the last couple of months, which is major insurance players pulling out, going, we, we can't do it. It's too risky. And maybe what will happen is, is individuals who can't afford the insurance will think twice about moving there. But unfortunately, that leaves an even glaring issue, which is, is
2: how does the economy
5: bounce back from this? Well, what happens to the way that we – so the momentum of the communities that we build and how we, how we make money, what is the ramifications of that? So I don't know what the alternative really is. I think that the, the idea is that it's not sustainable. If the hurricanes not going to come, then sea level rise will. And I think well, that we have to convince people to play the long game. And unfortunately, we're living in a society where the short game is most important.
1: How about somebody listening money. who says Hurricane Ian was a not a hundred year storm? It was a five hundred year storm. You know, there's no there's no way this could have been anticipated.
5: Well, I think that's a silly thing to say because some of the people that were affected by Hurricane Ian were there to be affected by Hurricane Charlie, and Hurricane Charlie may not have been as bad. Um, but at the same time, it may not be you. But it's, it's if you're thinking more regionally and you're. Someone like you know, the governor of Florida or you are or a politician of a community, your community is affected as a whole. So it may not be you individually, but people as a whole in Florida are, are seeing their risk go up because of climate change, and they're seeing their exposure go up because there's more of them than ever before. So um, I tell people that um, there's nothing that stops a, a 500-year storm from occurring again next year. It's just unlikely, but it is possible. We've seen it over and over again.
1: Final part of your essay, you talk about the expanding bullseye effect, and then I highlighted this line. You said the root cause of escalating disasters is not necessarily event frequency or risk related, it's population growth and the replacement of natural areas with developed ones. Just expand on that if you would.
5: Yeah, well, one of the things that we talk about in disasters, particularly atmospheric disasters, is that. The atmosphere is changing. We have a changing climate. It's it's sort of supercharging these hurricanes that we see. Um, that's you know. But we don't care about the hurricane that doesn't hit doesn't make landfall. If it's in the middle of nowhere, yeah. But if it doesn't hit anything, it's not a disaster. But the other side of the disaster coin is our society. Our society is rapidly growing. Vulnerability is increasing. You know, we see a, a wealth gap that's getting larger which means the same events occurring today versus say they occurred in 1950 are much, much worse. So the other side of the disaster coin is us, it's society. So we have a changing society coming together with a changing climate. And again, like you said before, it's that multi-headed monster. It's a tangled mess of, of issues that, that mean um, more money is being spent, more lives being lost if we don't do the things today To mitigate losses and and save lives going forward.
1: You have inspired today's poll question at smirkhanish.com. I just looked over 5,000 people have already voted. Here's the way I framed it. Will, not should, will damage from Hurricane Ian change not only how we build, but where we build? How will you answer that question?
5: uh, The optimist in me would say I wish it would, and I would pay any amount of money for that to happen. Um, but the the realist in me says there's nothing that shows that we won't change the way we build. There's too much short term incentive. Again, those beachfront properties sell really high right now. Um, right. And unfortunately, that seems to dominate our, our development view going forward. And that's not sustainable. So um, I hope I'm wrong. And I would love to proved wrong.
1: I mean, I wonder if if it reaches a point in the future where the rest of the country, apart from coastal areas, says, and and this is going to even sound heartless for me to to ponder aloud while these people are suffering, um, but does the rest of the country at some point say, hey, hey, wait a minute, we're not going to continue through the federal government, through insurance pools, we're not going to continue to, to pay for rebuilding in precisely the same areas in the same way. I don't know. And I don't know how many years down the road such a crossroads might be final thought is yours and thanks for being so gracious with your time
5: yeah i think um you hit the nail on the head we've seen at the community level uh certain blocks and certain subdivisions get completely relocated because they were flood prone so we have the ability with the zoning laws we have the ability with with development regulations to prevent people from moving into risky areas and again none of this is lacking empathy the reason that we bring this up is because we're tired of seeing people being having their homes destroyed or losing their lives. This is where um, I get frustrated and it leads to motivation because I'm tired of seeing the suffering that goes on. So um, I think if we take that empathy and run with it in the long run, then we can be better prepared to deal with, again, a changing climate and a changing society.
1: Stephen Strader from Villanova. That was excellent, and I thank you very much.
5: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Okay, you've heard the professor... What do you you think? Will damage from Hurricane Ian change not only how we build, but where we build? I think the clear answer to the question is no. But should it? Will damage from the hurricane change not only how we build, let's improve the building code, let's make sure that we're building sturdy structures, but where we build? What, what, What does the future look like in that regard? At what point Does society say, do politicians say, does the federal government say, hold on here, we're going to rebuild in that location again? Or maybe you're of the mindset that says, oh, come on, Michael, it's a freak occurrence. It's a uh, didn't you hear it's a 500 year storm.
3: This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
1: are available in hybrid models so no matter your style you can drive efficiently and save on gas visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on ravs highlanders and more when you visit buyatoyota.com caesar's sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with caesar's rewards
3: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
1: Okay, on the issue of where to rebuild, Larry in Pittsburgh has the solution. Go ahead, Larry.
3: Well, here's my thoughts, and I have
5: thought this uh, many years ago, that let everybody rebuild once because we don't want to change the rules on them, but then next time it's on your dime. No government subsidies or support from here on out. You want to so this,
1: w- this spots, would be the forward. one. This is the line in the sand. It's it's Hurricane Ian. Hey, we're going to take care of everybody, business as usual, but hereafter, no more.
5: Correct. Yeah. I mean, I I, I get it. It gets a little sticky in some spots because you get the flooding in Kentucky. But that's right. once in a, in, you know, that is a disaster that's unpredictable. But on the coast, hurricanes are very predictable. They're going to come back. So, Got it. Yeah.
1: Larry, thank you for that. Uh, New Orleans, this is Rob, a contractor who helped rebuild after Katrina. What do you think, Rob?
6: Thanks for having me.
1: You know, FEMA
6: set a flood height here, and FEMA set a, a wind code here. And they said, okay, if you want to rebuild, you better rebuild to this height. You better rebuild to a wind code, which is usually done by metal, metal clips where you where you clip a joist to a wall. And they inspect it. And so they come in and they say, you can't get your electric meter till you pass the inspection and we clear it and we tell our provider here to give you a meter. So the system here uh, it pretty much works. I mean, there's a ways around it, but it's not that easy.
1: But no amount of proper building or adherence to a building code is going to spare the devastation in some of the areas that we're seeing right now when the, you know, the sun came up on Florida two days ago. Uh, mine's right. a little different right question. Mine's a little different, a question. Yeah, hit, m- a little safe, different question, which is to say the location. Should we continue to build in these same locations?
6: If you're a direct hit and the eye came over you, I don't think there's any building that'll save you or any building right. code cool that'll save you. But the, the miles and miles of surrounding area
1: would, would have to adhere to this code. I mean, if you're going to take. If you, thank you, uh, Rob. I appreciate it. If you're going to take the risk, who should it be on? Ryan, St. Petersburg, what's your thought from Florida? So, yeah, I'm here, and you, at, the start, at the at the start of this week, I wasn't – you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. Oh, okay, sorry. Is that good? Uh, yeah, at the beginning of this week, I didn't think I'd have a house.
5: <laughs> and, uh, you know, I my, it's my parents' house, and I keep telling them, you know, they want to build up, and it's I, one day it's just going to be another one of the storms that's going to wipe this thing out.
1: What's your answer to the question of whether we keep rebuilding in the same areas? I don't think we should. Yeah, but nobody wants to be the one to implement it, right? Yep, absolutely. You're right. Oh, boy. Breaking news. Guess, hey, guess what the outcome was of the Russian election? Guess what it was? Guess what those people want to do, apparently?
4: I'm shocked.
1: Shocked. Shocked, shocked to find you. there's gambling in Rick's Cafe. Paul in Canada. Greetings, Paul. On the subject of rebuilding where there's been a massive storm, what did you want to say?
7: I just wanted to make a comment on your previous um, guess there about uh, building houses in the Everglades. A little ridiculous,
1: I think. What about closing the borders? I'm not following you. Listen, listen, I'm not. Wait a minute. I'm not hearing you close the border.
7: Yeah, border is quite open.
1: You guys were talking about too many people moving in and all this stuff. We definitely, we definitely have. Yeah, we, okay. This is not, this is not a border issue. I am happy to talk about porous borders. I happen to believe we have porous borders. So if you just like called some program to get your piece in about immigration, I'm there. We have a problem, but that's not this problem. The, the problem, the problem are not migrants in Florida who are in Fort Myers. They are people from the Midwest who are still able to get the, the Chicago news feed. I think it's WGN on the local cable package. Believe me, I know. Uh, Dean, you're in the panhandle of Florida. Greetings. What did you want to say?
6: I wanted to say that um, if you're not going to go back in Florida, why go back anywhere that there's a natural disaster of any kind?
1: I guess you could extend it to Northern California and wildfires.
6: Yeah, Northern California wildfires, Southern California and earthquakes, Sandy, Perkins, Sandy hit, hit New Jersey. Are they um, all apples? Are they, tornadoes apples? Hit Oklahoma. Are I mean, they where, all apples? Where apple? are people supposed to go that they can't be hit by
1: something? Right. I was going to say, well, they, they could come to uh, the Philadelphia suburbs, thank God. Um, I was going to say, is it all an apples to apples? Because you, you obviously make a, a valid point about uh, the uh, repetitive nature of these so-called natural occurrences. But given climate change and the population pattern that you heard my guest talk about, you know, a better than 60 percent increase in the Florida population in the last 30 years. Some of those risks are greater than others, is what I would say. Tom, you're in Port Charlotte, Florida. What did you most want to say?
7: Um, Well, actually, I moved out of Port Charlotte 18 months ago, uh, and there was a huge building boom. Um, I would suggest, or I'd I'd hope that you would ask your friends at CNN to send one of their drones over a community called Punta Gorda Isles. Uh, It's mostly homes built since Charlie under the current building code. And I would bet you that the only damage you will see in those homes is uh, shingles being removed and blue
1: tarps on the roof. Because of how well they've been built?
7: They, they changed the code to, to put a lot of rebar and a lot of um, cement into the walls and foundation so that the found, foundation and the roof is connected. I see. And in a hurricane the biggest danger is losing
1: your roof. Yeah, I get it. Um, I I did not know of that particular community. I I guess, thank you, Tom, to go back one call. No area is immune. I I made reference to the Philly Burbs. Uh, When I am driving on Route 309 at Fort Washington, and people who are in this area will know of what I'm speaking, I guess that would be what, Upper Dublin Township? But a tornado a year ago hit there and, and you could just see the whole path and people were by, the, it it's the,
4: stunning the blue tarps are not as plentiful as they were but it just tore right through there it's unbelievable and the, you know sort of one side of the street is completely fine and the other side of the street is gone
1: i wouldn't believe it if i haven't seen it because i would say what in this area you must be joking no that's the sort of thing that you talk about in you know in tampa roberta greetings in florida hi what are you thinking
2: Well, I'm 72 years old. I'm a fourth-generation Floridian, and I've gone through Andrew, Charlie, Irma, and now Ian. I don't think we should deny anybody the opportunity to rebuild. It's their land. They pay taxes on it. I do think that the structure should be architecturally sound as most people are saying, but who gives anybody the right to deny a property owner the opportunity to rebuild? Okay, I think that's
1: a fair point. By the way, a fourth generation Floridian. I didn't know there were fourth generation Floridians. That's like a fourth generation Southern Californian. There are no such things. Nobody's been there that long. Yes, Um, But Separate <laughs> separate related question. I get your point. Who, who are we to tell anybody where they can build? All right. That sounds like Houston zoning, by the way. But at what point, and I'm not saying this today because I don't want to be callous. I just think this is a question that 50 years from now is going to have to be answered. At what point do federal taxpayers get to say, wait a minute, why are we funding this if it keeps happening and happening and happening?
2: Well, I don't have that answer, Michael. Um, but I think the property owners would have to make a decision about could they afford to rebuild if the government doesn't supplement them
1: right yeah i i I hear you, and some will be able to, and some will not, and some will not. Yes. Th- thank you, Roberta..
3: Hear more of Michael Smirkanish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.
2: Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app.
3: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at smirconish.com.
2: Michael Smirkanish for Independent Minds.
0: When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice.
4: Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this
2: place on a cul-de-sac?